Parshish Re'eh. Elul made easy. When Chodesh Elul approaches, everyone is talking about Teshuva, about repentance. And so just by walking in the Jewish street, I'm talking about the good Jewish street, where there are yeshiva men. So we already understand that this is the time to get busy. Just because of the atmosphere, by means of osmosis, we feel that it can't be pushed off any longer. And therefore, now is the best time to study that subject of returning to Hashem. The first thing we must make clear when we talk about repenting is that we shouldn't make the common error that Teshuva is talking merely about righting some wrongs that you did. No, no. Teshuva, in that sense, is too limited, too hollow. I'm not saying it's nothing. It's very important. But when we talk about real Teshuva, we're talking about Shuvu El Hashem, about returning to Hashem. El Hashem means that we're trying to begin walking on the road toward Hashem. It means that we're not merely repenting for things that were done incorrectly. What it really means is to come to Hashem by gaining certain qualities, certain attitudes and practices that were never done before in your life. It means to get better. That's what Teshuvah actually means, to get better. You're not just traveling through life, doing mitzvahs, learning Torah. Teshuvah means you are actively traveling toward Hashem. It's an entirely different type of life. Now, when you hear something like that, it could be that it already puts a damper onto things. Here you thought you were just going to have to say you're sorry and make some amends or a few changes. And now you're hearing about changing the direction that you're going in life. Instead of just being a better Orthodox Jew, we're talking about Shuvu El Hashem, about getting on the road and starting to travel towards Hashem. That's already a big job. It's a sobering thought. But along comes the Torah and says it's not so. When the Torah talks about the subject of Teshuvah, it says, Ki ha-mitzvah hazot. This commandment of Teshuvah that I'm commanding you today is not something that's difficult. Lo hi. It's not in the sky that you should say, How can we go up and get it? Velo me'ever le'yam hi. And it's not across the sea that you have to travel a long distance. Ki karov elecha hadavar me'od bepicha u'bilvarvcha la'asoto. This thing is very near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, which means in your mind to do it. So what are we hearing here? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us that the mitzvah of teshuva is extremely easy. True, there's a certain orientation you'll need to take, a new path in life. But don't worry. It's very close to you. It's only a matter of It's in your mouth. Something you should say and something you should think. And that is sufficient for the mitzvah of Teshuvah. Now we must understand that actually it's not always so. When you're dealing, let's say, with the public like today, you will have many things that people have to be told that do require a drastic change in their lifestyle. Sometimes a man must sacrifice his ambitions his career for teshuva. He might have to give up his parnasa, his profession, and become a pauper. Sometimes you have to move to a different country to save your soul. And why not? Don't people move to save their health? If a man is told that for his health he has to leave a certain climate and settle elsewhere, even though it means giving up all of his friends and family and giving up his professional practice, what doesn't a man do to save his life? He moves even if it's across the world, and he understands that it's worth it. I knew a case once where there was a couple that had a sickly child, and the physician for some reason told them that the child needed the climate of southern Italy. That was very many years ago, about 60 years ago. I remember that. He needed the climate of southern Italy. So what did they do? They moved to southern Italy. That's all. They only had one child. They couldn't let his life be lost. So they moved to southern Italy. That's some change. They had to find a new home. They had to find a new livelihood. But they moved to save their child's life. Now a sin is a thousand times worse than sickness. Heve boreach min ha'aveda ki boreach min ha'esh. 
Just like you flee from fire. So you flee from something that smacks of sin. A sin is extremely perilous. And when it comes to peril, you run away. And so, let's say you live way out near Bangor, in some country place, in Maine. And you see your child is losing his religion. There's only one thing to do. Drop everything and come back to Brooklyn. You have no option. You can't put your child in sakana of losing his life. People have only one life to live. And you see people are being lost constantly. Constantly people are going lost because they don't run away from sin. A man called me up long distance from men married who is working in a certain place. He says there's a young lady that took a fancy to him and he's somewhat perturbed. What should he do? So I said, drop that job immediately. Don't report for duty anymore. He's hemming and he's oing. It took me three years to find this job, and it's a good salary. It makes no difference, I told him. You're in great peril. You cannot afford to flirt with something worse than death. I had a case once where a woman told me in confidence that the Italian bachelor next door speaks to her every day, and she's friendly with him. So I said, drop everything and take the first plane to Florida and don't come back anymore. Let your husband stay here to arrange all of your affairs. And when he's finished, let him follow you to Florida. You're in great danger if you don't do that. Let's say a mafia man called you up and said, I'm coming to your house tonight because you didn't pay up. And I'm going to take care of you. I'll bring along the cement. I'll see that you have a kimono made of cement. Are you going to wait for him to knock on your door? You'll take the first plane to Mexico, even if you'll never be able to come back again. And an Aveira, you have to know, is much worse than a mafia man. And so we see that sometimes the most drastic changes are required. And if it's required, we do it. Loyal Jews will take the most extreme steps to save themselves, even if it means becoming a refugee. A refugee drops everything. He leaves all of his clothing in his house. He runs out of the house in the middle of the night. And he runs down the street as far as he can to get away from his home where peril threatens. And he makes up his mind. I'll never come back again to that dangerous place. I don't want to encounter the mafia man in my house. If I come back there, my life is over. You must do everything in your power to save your life. And so too, sometimes, for certain Avedis, it's necessary to make drastic changes in one's life. And certainly he should do it. He should not hesitate, because if a man could save his life, if he can still salvage and achieve something in this world, he must do it. Everything is worth the sacrifice to rescue the rest of your days, the remaining years that you have. Even elderly people move to other countries in order to gain a few more years. Surely they should do so to save their souls. But we're not going to talk now about such drastic changes, about people who are drowning in big sins and need to make that type of teshuva. After all, when Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Am Yisrael about the mitzvah of teshuva, cajoling them and warning them about returning to Hashem, you have to picture the circumstances. It was in the Midbar, and the people were all Shoimle Shabbos. Everybody ate kosher, and everybody kept Tadas HaMishbacha. There was no question about anyone doing a sin in the Midbar that others could notice. That was out of the question. Even a hundred years ago, in a small Jewish town, or in a big Jewish city, in Vilna, let's say, it was impossible for a Jew to walk through the street without a hat. He wouldn't survive. Every Jew went to the Beis HaKnesses. There wasn't a Jew who didn't put on tefillin. It was the national practice for the Jewish people to keep kol atayrakula. And in the Midbar, certainly everybody kept everything. And so the question arises, what talk of teshuva is there when everybody is perfect. And the answer is that absolutely there is talk of teshuva. There's a lot of talk because teshuva means something entirely different than you imagined. Doing mitzvahs is the minimum that's required of a Jew. It doesn't make you special. It's not your great achievement in life. It's like a man who walks in the street naked and another person is clothed in shorts or in nothing but undergarments. Now, the man who is wearing shorts looks over at the naked fellow, and he might feel extremely dignified. Look how important I am. I'm dressed in big day Yom Tov, big day Malchus. This fellow is only wearing shorts, but he looks at his naked friend, and he imagines himself 
to be dignified. When comparing yourself to Jews who do nothing, certainly you might deceive yourself into thinking that you're good, that everything is fine. But in those days, everybody was clothed in mitzvahs. That was the bare minimum. Everybody did everything. And still Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them that there was so much teshuva to be done. Because just doing mitzvahs is not everything. Actually, it's just the beginning. You still need a big teshuva. And therefore, right now we are addressing an audience of Orthodox Jews. And everybody keeps everything. All of you are tzaddikim who should be nichtavin v'nichtamin l'alter l'chaim toivim l'sholom. You're all good Orthodox Jews. And so, we're not going to talk about sins that you hear about in the camp outside the Orthodox. We won't talk about anything that's severe in the eyes of the Hamon Am, that even the multitude will agree is a sin. Things that require the most drastic changes. No. We'll talk about things that even the most Orthodox can do to come closer to Hashem. Opportunities to fulfill Vishuvu El Hashem, to start walking on the path of greatness, of coming closer to Hashem. Now, in the Torah it states that this type of teshuva is not difficult. It's not far away from you. You won't have to travel to Italy. You won't have to give up your career. This thing is very close to you. The teshuva that we're going to talk about is the easy road to teshuva. But before we talk about some details, it pays to make the following point about easy opportunities. When you consider how simple it is to take advantage of easy opportunities, you'll begin to understand how guilty you really are. And I must take the time now to explain about this subject so you'll understand how severe it really is to ignore the opportunities that we're going to discuss here. How guilty we are just because it is karovelecha. You know, tzitzis have two kinds of threads. There are threads of blue wool, which are expensive. In the days of old, when they wore tzitzis, they had blue tzitzis on their tzitzis. But it was very expensive. They also had threads of white wool, which were not as expensive. Now, the Gemara in Masech Menacha says like this, Suppose a man neglected to put blue threads in his tzitzis. So naturally, he's guilty. In the days when tzitzis was available... It was a sin to neglect it. But let's say he neglected to put in white threads that the Gemara says is a much bigger sin, much more severe. Gadol oncho shel lovan, yoter me oncho shel techeles. The punishment for neglecting the white threads is bigger than the punishment for neglecting the blue threads. Why is it much worse? Because white threads are easier to find and cheaper to purchase. And the punishment for neglecting something that's easy to do is bigger than the punishment for neglecting something that's more difficult. Whatever is easy is a bigger obligation. So now we begin to understand how serious are the easy opportunities to become better. Those things that are easier to begin working on entail a much greater responsibility. And that means that what we're going to learn tonight will create big responsibilities. And it won't help to walk out now to decide not to listen. Oh no, you'll be held responsible for not learning what you must do. You'll be considered very guilty. I'll prove it to you. You remember when Avram Avinu came to Gerar? So the Torah relates that Avimelech asked him, Who is this woman with you? He saw a beautiful woman with Avraham, and that was his first question. So Avraham said in Breshis, Achotihi, she is my sister. And Avimelech didn't hesitate. He took her and brought her to his palace. And that night... He had a dream that he was going to be put to death for taking away a married woman in the morning. He summoned Avraham and said, Why did you deceive me? And Avraham said, Because when a stranger comes to town, people are supposed to be asking about one thing. Do you have a place to eat? A place to sleep? But you didn't ask me any of these questions. You asked me, Who is this woman with you? Is she your sister or your wife? Oh, if that's your question, then I know I have what to be careful from. And so immediately I said, There is no Yiras Elohim b'makom hazeh. No fear of God in this place. And I have to protect myself. It was necessary for Avraham to deceive Avimelech for his own self-defense. Avraham couldn't have answered, She's my wife. Because he was afraid that Avimelech would kill him in order to take Sarah. 
Now the question arises, why should Abimelech have been sentenced to death? After all, he was deceived by Abraham. It's true that he didn't ask the proper questions. But at the end of the day, he was innocent. He thought he was taking an unmarried woman. And the Gemara and Baba Kama answers that Avimelech is considered the guilty one because he never learned how to behave. Because he never took the time and energy to train himself in good manners. He forced Avraham to deceive him. And so, he was going to be killed. Shehaya lo lilmod velo lamod. Because he should have learned correct behavior and he didn't. From here we learn the Gemara says that a Ben Noach is put to death, because he should have learned and he didn't. Had he gone to listen to Abraham, Abraham was speaking all the time and he had thousands of Talmudim. He would have learned how to behave when wayfarers pass through, how to put the right questions to them. And since Avimelech didn't bother to learn and ask the wrong questions, he was guilty. He was sentenced to death. Because he should have learned. So we're learning here a big principle about all these easy things that a person could have fulfilled without any effort. He cannot say, I claim exemption because of ignorance. Because it's easy to learn. We're not requiring him to study Sugyus Hamurus with Gomorrah and Toysvus. No, we're talking about fundamentals of proper living, proper behavior that are easy to learn. And because there are so many opportunities to learn the fundamentals, those who neglect these opportunities are held entirely guilty. If there are lectures such as these where you could learn, and if there are sephorim that you could study, then you will be held responsible. And so, let's not waste this opportunity. We're sitting here together, and it's almost Rosh Chodesh Elul. So let's get busy learning and studying a few of the easy opportunities that will help us to start traveling on the road of returning to Hashem. Now, the first easy opportunity for Teshuvah that we'll talk about is to keep your mouth closed. Shesika, silence. Not only is being quiet easy, we're not being asked to do anything after all, but it's a great accomplishment too because you're producing something important. That's what the Rambam in Hilchas Deya says. Adam A person should always be producing a great deal of silence. You hear that? It's not just that you're talking. You're manufacturing something important. Imagine you have a factory where you make toothbrushes, or maybe you're a tailor and you sew suits, whatever it is. Every day you're producing. So you have to keep cheshpen. How many goods did I produce today? Did I do better today than yesterday? What could I do different tomorrow in the factory to produce more toothbrushes? And it's the same with silence. You have to think about that. How much silence did I produce today? What can I change? What can I adjust in my day tomorrow in order to make it even more successful? And it's a big step forward on the path of Shuvu El Hashem because silence is considered a service of Hashem. That's what David HaMelech teaches us. Lecha dumia tehila. To you, Hashem. Silence is praise. Tehillim. It means, the quieter I am, the more I'm praising you. Now that's an interesting idea. Because we always thought that the halalukas and the brachas are praise. Ashrei, hodu, and moidim. That's how we praise Hashem. And now we're being told that keeping quiet is the way. That the real career of praising Hashem is manufacturing silence. And something like that needs a good explanation. Now who better to turn to for explanations than the Chacham Mikol Adam? Shlomo HaMelech tells us in Koheles, Al Tivahel Al Picha. Don't be in a hurry to express yourself. V'libcha al yimahel l'hoitzi davar l'fnei Hashem. And your heart, your mind, shouldn't be in a hurry to say something in the presence of Hashem. Now those last words, l'fnei Hashem, are very important. It's the explanation that we're looking for. Why? Should you not be hasty to open your mouth? Because you're standing, lifne Hashem, in front of Hashem. Where does that mean? In the Beis HaMikdash? In the Beis HaKnesses? In the Beis HaKnesses, you surely should not speak. But here, lifne Hashem doesn't mean the Beis HaKnesses. It means any place. What does that mean? That you're standing in front of Hashem? 
It means that wherever you are, Ki ha-helokim bashamayim ve'ata al ha-aretz al-kein yudivarecha me'atim. Elokim is in the heaven. And you're down below on this earth. Koheles. And he's watching. He's looking at you. Oh, now something else comes into the picture. Elokim is in the picture. Elokim is in Shamayim above you, looking at you, and you're down on this earth. Al ken yu devarecha me'atim. Therefore, your words should be few. That's why you shouldn't talk so much. Let's understand that. When you're sitting at the table with your family, or if you're talking to your friends in the street, Hashem is present. Do you hear that? Whenever you open your mouth, you have to be aware that you're speaking in the presence of Hashem. And the rule is, Achacham doesn't talk in the presence of somebody bigger than him. Some people don't know that rule. If you're in the presence of an important person, keep quiet. There's somebody else here, somebody very important. So keep quiet. If a man opens his mouth and words flow out without restraint, it means he doesn't feel like he's in anybody's presence. Let's say you were standing in the presence of the President of the United States. He's not such an important person today. But still, you wouldn't talk much in his presence. You certainly wouldn't be shooting off your mouth. Now, lahavdil elaf havdalas. If you are talking with the Godol Hador, with, let's say, Rav Shach or Rav Moshe Feinstein, would you talk a lot? If you have any sense, you wouldn't say a word. Let's say you meet the Sigaturov, or you're standing in front of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. When you're standing there, you don't open your mouth. Don't ask somebody else, what's the time? And even if somebody comes over to you and asks you a question, you keep quiet. Don't answer the question. Keep quiet. Not only because you might miss some precious words that the Gadol might be saying. Even if he's not saying anything, you don't talk in the presence of somebody bigger than you. And that's what Shlomo HaMelech is telling us. Every person, no matter how from he is, has to have a hargosha, a sensory perception that he's standing in front of Hashem. A perception that's so real that it motivates him not to talk. Of course, it's not something that comes overnight. It takes practice, but it's not difficult. Suppose you're an ordinary Jew who never worked on these concepts. You don't really feel the presence of Hashem, but you'd like to do it. You aspire to become a Maimin. Of course, you won't admit that you're not a Maimin, but at least you'll admit that you don't feel the presence of Hashem all the time. And so, each time you wish to open your mouth, you remind yourself, Ki Elokim Bashamayim, Vata Ala Aretz, how can you Atim? Hashem is listening, and therefore my words should be few. Little by little, you instill in your Neshama an awareness of Akadosh Borhu. And it's Korov Elecha. Does it cost you any money for a person to just keep his mouth shut? Ki Korov Elecha, Hadavar Meod. How near, how close, how easy that thing is. Now, if you had to go outside in the cold weather, in the storm, in order to buy something to fulfill a mitzvah, well, if you didn't, so it's wrong. But still, you have some excuse for yourself. It might not be the best excuse, but it's something at least. But here we're talking about where no effort is entailed, so there's no excuse. It involves no cost to keep your mouth closed. And so, let's start practicing it. Elul is here! Four weeks to make use of the easy opportunities to do real teshuva, to return all the way to Hashem. So let's take the first week and use it for this. The first week of Elul, I'm going to practice not speaking because I'm lifnei Elohim. When someone approaches you and makes a remark, don't rush to respond. You'd like to talk. You have a wisecrack or a rejoinder. You want to say something. Instead, you should say to yourself, no. I won't say it because I'm standing before Hashem. You don't always need to answer. If someone says something to you, you have to say something back automatically. Let's say a cow says moo. Do you have to say moo back? A dog barks as you pass by. Do you have to bark back? So if someone speaks to you, unless it's necessary, don't say anything. Just listen. Who says you always have to answer? And suppose you must answer. Sometimes you must say something. 
So then make sure to count your words. You know, some people are like a faucet. They start pouring out everything they have inside. Everything comes gushing out. You know what that means. It means they're being Messiah Das from Hashem. A person must always keep in mind that Hashem is listening. Keeping your mouth closed and keeping your words few when you do have to speak shows that you have a muna that Hashem is always listening to you. If you open your mouth and talk without restraint, it means you think that you are a free bird. It means that you have no emuna because belief in Hashem requires that we keep quiet. He's standing right here after all, and he's listening. Now you can understand what the Gra said. The Gra said as follows, as this should be a motto to all of us. I'll call rega verega shedam choysem pi. For every moment that you muzzle your mouth. You hear that? Every moment. One moment or two moments or three moments. Whatever it is. For every moment that you muzzle your mouth. You'll be rewarded by the concealed light. Whose greatness no malach and no creature can possibly measure. That's how great the light is. So you're sitting here tonight. And you keep quiet for a while. I was doing the talking, so you had to keep quiet. Do you realize what a big benefit it was to you? For every second that you keep your mouth closed, you're being rewarded with an eternal light of happiness in the world to come. Besides, in this world, that's how great your reward of silence is. How could that be, you'll say? All I did was keep my mouth closed. The answer is, what you're thinking, why you're silent. You're doing it because you're standing in the presence of Hashem. It's a demonstration that you are aware of Hashem. Hashem is not just a word in the Siddur. He's right here in front of me. So I won't prattle. I won't shoot my mouth off in his presence. Oh, that's already a greatness. You're much greater than the angels. And you're fulfilling our great motto of tonight's lecture. You're fulfilling Veshuvu El Hashem. Now. Once you practiced this up for a full week, let's say from Shabbos to Shabbos, you've been keeping your mouth closed at every opportunity that comes your way. Every time you felt the urge to say something, you thought beforehand, is it really needed? I'm standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu after all. Should I really open my mouth? So now you're ready for week number two. Week number two of Shuvu El Hashem. We're looking for another easy opportunity. Something that is karov elecha me'od. Now, once you've established yourself as a quiet fellow, you'll see that there's still so much good you can accomplish, even with your mouth closed. And so we'll take another path to teshuva that doesn't require any talking at all. You'll be able to continue with your first week's avoida. At the same time, you'll add something else. The Gemara in Kasubas tells us, in one place, how great is the mitzvah of smiling to your fellow Jew? There's a pasuk in the Chumash. Uleven shinayim michalav. The whiteness of your teeth is better than milk. Bracious. What does that mean? So our sages make a play on words and tell us a yisod for life. Tov hamal bin shinayim l'chavero yoited mimashkehu chalav. It's better to show your fellow man a smile with your white teeth than give him a drink of milk. A smile is better for his health than a cup of milk. In Slabatka, the altar used to explain it like this. Suppose a man is sitting on the sidewalk with a big can of milk and for every passerby, he ladles out a cup. Imagine such a thing. A man is standing outside of the Beis HaMedrish in the morning with a can of milk and Dixie cups. And everyone who passes by, he ladles out a Dixie cup of milk. Here, take a free drink of milk. So everybody would agree that he's a public benefactor. A drink of milk to every passerby. Milk gives a person energy. It gives him nourishment. Milk has calcium in it. It has vitamins. It makes you healthy. Milk goes into you. It changes you. But here, says the altar, is a man who does even better than that. To every passerby, he offers a friendly smile. That helps a person physically, even more than the drink of milk. Tov hamal bin shinayim lechavedo yoser mimashkehu chalav. It's better than giving him a glass of milk to drink.
It's healthier for that person to see you smile than to get a drink of milk. It builds him up physically more than vitamins because it makes him happy too. Now, is it so hard to smile at others? Not really. It could be that your face is already frozen into a scowl from so many years of not practicing this Gemara. But even so, it's not that difficult to change. And to make it even easier, our sages guided us. I told you before that even the easy things require some study. Just to talk in general terms, it's not enough. And so, we're fortunate that our sages spoke about this subject. Shammai says, You should receive all people with a pleasant cast of countenance. Shammai said only a few words, less than 10 words, but it's full of information. Now, I'm not capable of understanding the depth of a Mishnah, but my regular customers know that this maxim has at least four parts to it. First of all, it says, Kol ha'adam, all people. It means not only the person you like who smiles at you. Kol ha'adam means even a nudnik, even someone you don't like. Some people are not so pleasant. Sometimes a fellow likes to talk a lot, and you're in a hurry to get rid of him. But still, a smile you can afford to give him. That's the command of the Torah. You should greet every man with a pleasant cast of countenance. And so, that's number one to think about this week. Kol ha'adam, every person deserves from you a seven panim yafas. Now, seven panim yafas is three things. It says seven and panim and yafas. It means three different things. I'll explain that. First of all, it includes panim. You must show your face to a person, not your ear. Panim means you show him the front of your face, not your profile. Let's say you walk into the house tonight and your mother says, Hello, Chaim. Were there many people at the lecture tonight? You're passing by, going to your room. So without turning your head, you say, Yes, Ma, it was crowded. That's wrong. It says panim. It means turn your face around. When you come home from the base Yankov and your mother is standing in the kitchen, are you going to walk by the kitchen and just show your mother your ear? Show your face to your mother, not the back of your head. You have neck muscles. That's what they're for. So you should show your mother your face. Not only in the house. When you're passing by a from Jew on the street or someone in the hall of the yeshiva, in the hall of the base Yankov. And the person greets you. Don't greet that person with your profile. Turn your face. That's number one. Panim. Greet people with your face. The second thing is, it says, Sever. Sever is from the word Svara. Svara means thought, intention. Showing your face sometimes can be as full of expression as turning the bottom of a pan towards them. You might turn your face to your mother, your sibling, your fellow Jew. But your face is a deadpan. Oh no, the face is only part of the story. There must be some expression, some interest in your face. Show that you're interested in them. There must be some sever, some thought in your face. Show that you're thinking of that person when you look at him. That you're interested in him. Not merely a look, a stare, a meaningless expression. Put some svara into it. Think about what you're about to do when you smile at him. You want to make his day, his life more pleasant by looking at him in a friendly way. And the third part of your smile is yafas, a pleasant face. You show your face and it's a thoughtful face. But there's a scowl? No, no. Ya'ed panav. Shine your smile on him. Show him a thoughtful smile. Now, the Gemara says you should show white teeth. Of course, if you brush your teeth every day and you're able to flash a white smile, that's the best thing. But any kind of teeth are good. Even a yellow smile, a brown smile. It's still a very great thing because any type of smile gives another person life. The warmth of friendship gives your fellow man such energy, such happiness. It makes him feel that he's somebody. You give him a friendly smile and the whole world becomes illuminated with sunlight. You have no idea what you have done. And there are no excuses. It doesn't matter if you have your own thoughts on your head, your own worries. Your face is a shusarabim. It's affecting other people. So it's your responsibility.
Rav Yisroh Salant related that when he was a boy in the town of Salant, he once met a man on Slichas morning. Slichas in the olden days was serious business. So this man was coming from Slichas, and his face was still wet with tears. And so when Rav Yisrael greeted him, the man barely noticed him. He was intent on his own teshuva thoughts. He had just finished weeping through his tefillahs, and he barely noticed Rav Yisrael. Many years later, Rav Yisrael wrote in his writings like this, Is it my fault that you are a Yirei Shamayim? That means, do I have to suffer because you're a Yirei Shamayim? You hear that? It means that whatever you have in your heart should remain there. Could be that it's Evlo Bilibo, that there are worries on your mind. But as far as your fellow Jew, it should be Tzahalaso Bifanov on your face. You must show interest and happiness. I've seen this. I've been in the company of very great men who practice this. I remember one of my Rebbeim. He was an old man, and in his heart he was mourning because he felt that his time was coming to an end and he hadn't accomplished enough. He looked back and he saw his misdeeds. He was considering that soon would be the day of judgment, and he was thinking about how to make amends. It was Evlo Belibo. In his mind, there was mourning. But even if you barged in on him while he was busy with his own thoughts, his own cheshbon nefesh, he didn't show it. He was an oivet Hashem. And therefore, to those around him, he always displayed a happy face. And so make it a principle of yours this week that Yair Panav, your face should shine on people. It's an obligation. It's not merely some minhag that you'll find in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch or a bit of Musr that somebody wrote in the last generation. It's a Mishnah said by the Roshet Tanaim. Greet people with a pleasant cast of countenance. When you meet people on the street, don't pass them by with your head down, with a hand dog look, with just the corner of your eye. You must make it your business to raise up your face and shine your countenance upon them. Practice it tonight when you get home. Practice it on your wife or on somebody you'll meet here in the hall outside. Practice it. All week long. Now, we come to the week number three of our Elul program. We practiced being quiet. And then we added to that the seven Panimiafas. And now that you're quiet and happy, your mind is available to accomplish even more. That's how the Rambam understands the words of our sages. Siyag Shtika. Silence is a fence for wisdom. When a person is prattling, words and words and more words, so his mind can't function well. But now we can begin applying our minds even more to teshuva. But remember, we're looking for the teshuva that is cut of elecha, something that's close to us and easy to do. And so we'll talk now about transforming our ordinary deeds, not about adding more deeds, but about taking our regular deeds and using them to fulfill this Pasuk of Shuvu El Hashem. We're going to quote the Mesil Zisharim at the end of chapter 16. He talks there about the great men of our past who were chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now it really is worthwhile to study the following subject. He says, the subject of why HaKadosh Baruch Hu favored these great personalities. It's a subject we should investigate. What was the reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved Avraham so greatly? Why did he love Moshe Rabbeinu so greatly? We think we know. We know that Abraham had ten trials. Asaranis And he passed them all successfully. And so on. Moshe Rabbeinu was devoted to his people. And he was a servant of Hashem with all of his heart. And Eved Neman. So we think we know what made them great. But we're making a big error. We don't understand at all the greatness of our great men. Now listen to what the Mesilis Yishadim says. I'll read it in English. He says like this. This, in truth, is the test that the servants of Hashem were tested with. And this is what set apart each one according to his degree of greatness. What was the test? It was a test of who was capable of purifying his heart more. He was the one who was closer to Hashem and more beloved to him. What does that mean? So he explains, when they did their ordinary deeds, not the great deeds that are written about in the Torah, the heroic deeds of self-sacrifice that we always speak about, but even their daily deeds, the deeds that they did every day, they were done with the intention of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
when Avram Avinu was busy managing his sheep and his cattle. That was his business, raising livestock. He was thinking always about serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When Avram was in his tent with Sarah, or Sarah was in the tent with Avram, each one was thinking about how to talk in a way that would serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When they sat down to eat, they ate with the thought, how can I please HaKadosh Baruch Hu with my eating? Now, anybody who would have been present wouldn't have heard anything. You might have heard great things too. No question that whatever words were exchanged were noble words. But what was doing in their minds, no reporter could have noted. No tape recorder would have recorded what was doing. They were just thoughts in their minds. And the Mesilus Hashodim says that it was these thoughts that made them great. The true nobility of these great people, he says, was the way they lived in their inner lives, the way they thought. They lived the Shem Shamayim. And our sages say that this attitude, this way of life, applies to every single one of us. The Mishnah is talking to all of us when it says, V'chol ma'asecha yu l'shem shamayim. All your deeds should be for the sake of heaven. Pirkei Avas. Now when the Rambam quotes that Mishnah, he says it's a remarkable statement. When we learn it, we don't see anything remarkable. Certainly everything should be done l'shem shamayim. Why not? But the Rambam is nispoil from this statement. He's excited over this statement because those words are the heart of our lives. It means that we can live our lives, our ordinary lives, as oiv de Hashem. We can try as much as we can that with every physical, material act that we do, as much as possible, we can do them for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's a greatness that is so easily available to all of us because people spend a lot of time and effort doing things. You spend effort in your home, on preparing meals, on cleaning the house. You spend effort on taking care of your clothing, on slaving away in the office or the factory. Who doesn't spend hours during the week for material things in his home and his business? All of those hours, all those materialistic parts of our lives can be easily transformed by means of our thoughts. It costs no money. No physical effort is involved. How close this thing is to you. Just with your mouth. And with your heart. With your mind. To do it. When a mother feeds her child, if she does it like the lady next door does it, Miss Dominic also feeds her child. Miss Jones also feeds her child with compassion. So if Mrs. Levine and Mrs. Cohen merely do it the same way, what a missed opportunity that is. Because if a Jewish woman will feed her child and think that she's an emissary of the one who is poteach et yadecha, he opens his hands and satiates all the living. This Jewish mother is thinking, I'm opening up my hand, but I feel like my hand is the hand of Hashem. You know what that means? She has taken a simple act that everybody does and she has elevated it into one of the greatest forms of service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Imagine a butcher standing behind the counter serving meat to his customers. He's wasting such an easy opportunity to acquire greatness. Instead, all he's acquiring is money. If he only would think while he's standing behind the counter, ah, let these Jews enjoy life. Let this big Jewish family enjoy a good piece of meat. Just by means of those easy thoughts, he would transform himself. Ordinary married life becomes transformed by thinking L'Shem Shamayim thoughts. When a man and a woman get married, instead of merely marrying because he wants a wife and she wants a husband, if they would add the thoughts of building the Am Yisrael, you know what a big reward they would have. Imagine a chasan is standing under the chuppah, must think, I'm marrying my Kala because I want to raise up a generation of Avde Hashem. Of course, he couldn't tell that to this young girl because she'll feel that she's being robbed of romance. But the truth is, that's what they both should be thinking. And it's what they can and should always be thinking all the time, even many years after the Chasana. It's going to transform all the humdrum days of marriage into Avoidus Hashem of the highest level. Why shouldn't each child be the result of noble intent? The children will come out naturally. They're orthodox people. They'll have a lot of children. But why should they come as accidents? 
Isn't that the tragedy? We're not talking now about the number of children. Let's say you'll have a lot of children anyhow. But why should they be conceived and born and raised in the same way as Gentile babies? After all, the Gentiles are working too. All over the world, people are working and living and supporting children and marrying off children. Italians also want nachas from their children. Puerto Ricans also want nachas. But when Jews want nachas from children, not because of selfish motives, that's an entirely new way of living. Now, you can't help being selfish. But if in addition to the selfish motive, you're able to add one more thought of I'm doing it for Hashem, that's the biggest teshuva you can do. Now, this is a subject that's so important that we should go on for hours quoting examples how this should be applied because everything in life becomes different. Everything becomes noble. Even eating becomes teshuva. You know, if you ate something before you came here with the intent of coming here to this lecture, so that means you ate in order to come a little closer to Hashem. You didn't do it. It's okay. Because you'll be eating again, I'm sure, tonight when you get home. If you didn't eat yet, and you're going to have supper, as you sit down at the table, it wouldn't be a bad idea not to rely just on your thoughts, but say with your mouth, I'm going to eat now in order to make my body healthy so I should be able to serve Hashem. Your wife shouldn't hear you because she'll say, you're a big hypocrite. She'll say, Chaim, who are you kidding? You're eating because you have a big appetite. And she's right. You are a hypocrite, but you're training yourself. And after a while, the idea will grow on you. So don't tell anybody the secret. Between you and Hashem, say, Hashem, I'm doing it for you. I'm eating it to serve Hashem in order to have power, to have strength, to serve you, Hashem. If you'll do that, you are already a head taller than everyone else. Isn't it the tragedy? If you go into the Yom Hadin and you never thought once that you're eating L'Shem Shamayim, you never went to sleep L'Shem Shamayim, you never went into your office to work L'Shem Shamayim. And the greater tragedy is that it costs you no money. No physical effort is involved. How close this thing is to you. Just with your mouth. And with your heart, with your mind, la soto, to do it. And it's because this road to teshuva is so immensely easy that the responsibility for it is so immensely vast. And now we come to week number four, the last week before Rosh Hashanah. It means that the day of judgment is coming. And that means that it's time to become afraid, to learn some Yiras Shamay. Now, I understand that today the Rabbanim don't want to talk too much about fear of Hashem. It's all love and happiness, nothing to fear at all. But here, we like to talk truth. And the truth is that it's a mitzvah of the Torah to learn to be afraid of Hashem constantly. And it's not just any mitzvah. It's the pinnacle of success. You remember when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to praise Avram Avinu after the 10th test that he gave him, the Akedah, and Avram passed the test successfully. What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say about him? What words? What title did he give him? He said, Now I know that you are a man who fears Elohim. Bracious. To fear Hashem. That is the paramount achievement. So how can a person live his life without being afraid of Hashem? He loves Judaism. Very good. He loves mitzvahs. He's enthusiastic about them. Excellent. He may even learn a lot of Torah. All very good. But where is the fear? What about being afraid of Hashem? It's a mitzvah in the Torah, a very great obligation to learn to be afraid of Hashem constantly. Not just awe or respect. Real fear. To actually be afraid of Hashem. Afraid of everything that could happen, chas v'sholem. Afraid of what Hashem could do. What He could inscribe for the coming year or the coming years. And so, at least this one week before Rosh Hashanah, there's no question that we can try a little bit to become Yare Shamayim, to learn, to train ourselves constantly, to have that in our hearts is an important form of teshuva. Everyone, after all, must have at least some fear of Hashem as he comes before him at the great tribunal. And therefore, 
even if everything is going smoothly, even when you're doing things that are proper, you're fulfilling everything. Still, you must bring into your heart a fear of Hashem. Now, just to say, be afraid of Hashem, that won't mean much. We're looking for a way that's karov elecha, something we can grab onto and make part of our lives, something that we can do without adding any new obligations, and yet it should still be a big teshuva. So let's take a few examples. And it would be a good idea to make use of them as much as you can during this last week before Rosh Hashanah. Of course, once you get used to them. So you'll continue with them next year too? Why not? After all, the more Yiddish Hashem, the better. So let's begin. You read the newspapers. Of course, it's a waste of time. But sometimes you pass by a garbage can and pick up a newspaper and you see that in Rwanda, someplace in Africa, thousands of children are dying of starvation and disease. Thousands upon thousands. And they're busy all the time fighting against each other. Many of them have been killed by other native tribes who wanted to have dominion over them. Now, who thinks about such things? Somewhere in Africa, the natives are killing each other. That's my business. Yes, it's most definitely your business. Do you know how I know that? It's a Gemara in Yavamas. Ein puranos ba le'oilam ela bishvili Yisrael. Troubles come on the world only because of the Am Yisrael. And Rashi says, liyoram, to make Jews afraid. Kedei sheyachziru b'tshuva. So that they should do teshuva. That's one of the big reasons that things happen in this world. And therefore, if you think it's none of your business, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, what do you mean? I'm telling you it's your business. And you're saying, no, I'm wasting my resources because of you. I'm killing those people so that you should learn from them and you should say, it's not your business. And therefore, Hashem has a big claim against us. Look what I'm doing. I'm killing people, human beings with families. And you are wasting the opportunity that I'm giving you. You're not using it to become more and more afraid of me. What a waste. It means that when you read that there's a famine in India and people are dying of starvation, you are supposed to become much more frum because of that. Ooh, if I were there, how terrible it would be. And if Hashem wants to, Khalila, he can make the same thing happen right here in New York. Don't think it's not so. That's why they're dying. To make us afraid of Hashem's power. It's a pasuk that everybody knows. If he sends suffering on the nations, isn't he showing something? He is teaching people das. He's teaching us to be afraid. To heal him. Hashem has his plans and his intentions. And whatever he does to the nations is certainly just. But Hashem's main intention is to teach us to fear Him. And so whenever you hear something happened in the world, don't say, it has nothing to do with me. It's interesting. But what's in my business? It's your business especially. Here's a Pan Am airplane with 300 people on it. And it crashed into the Pacific Ocean. So what does the fool say? Well, in most of the cases, airplanes don't crash. So I don't have to think about that. Or... I don't do those things anyhow. I don't travel on airplanes. I travel on buses and trains, not airplanes. And if you hear it happened on a bus, oh, that bus is someplace else, far away. I don't go in that neighborhood at all. There's no end to the terutsim you can use to dodge the opportunity to learn. Now that's a terrible mistake. You're misusing the airplane crash. That tragedy was for you. To remind you to learn Yiras Hashem. Nobody knows when he's going to be sentenced, a person may be packing his valise full of joy for a happy trip. He doesn't know that he's going now to his final execution. And therefore, a man must always be prepared with Yiras Hashem. At all times, a person should think, who knows what could happen to me because of my Avedas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has ways and means of carrying out his retribution. Crossing a street. Cars are coming from all directions. Suddenly a car turns and it's going too fast to stop. Sometimes it jumps the curb and there's nothing you can do about it. It's too late. You have to be afraid. So this week, as you're walking down the sidewalk, say, Please let me get home safely. I'm afraid. I promise you that when I get home, 
I won't talk to my wife the way I spoke to her this morning. I won't speak back to my mother like I did last night. I'll be a good boy from now on. Because these things happen suddenly and constantly. Every day there are accidents in the home. And therefore, people should learn to be afraid of Hashem. Not to live in fear of things that might happen. But to live in fear of Hashem, who can make anything happen. Don't we constantly hear about people who contracted serious illnesses? Rashi explains the purpose of illness in this world. The statement Rashi makes is as follows. Illness is for the purpose of making us afraid. So that we should do teshuva. Suddenly a cell in a man's body goes wild. It begins to misbehave. Nobody can be certain that something like that won't suddenly happen to him. Illness should make you afraid of Hashem. Not only Khalila, our own illness, somebody else's illness too. You see, on all sides, things happening to people who never expected it. There could be a boy, 14 years old, who was perfectly well, getting ready to enjoy a long, happy life, and suddenly he gets a certain pain in his neck, and he's taken to the hospital, and they discover he has leukemia. Ay, 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 he says. Why did it happen to me? When you hear a story like that, be afraid. Why didn't it, Khalila, happen to you? It's a scary thought, the thought of death. And it should make you afraid of Hashem. Before Hashem should kneel all those who go down in the dirt to Hillam. Everybody knows that someday he will die and be buried. And that's why he should be afraid of Hashem. The Amos Hamaves, the prospect of eventual death, must make everybody afraid. As you pass by a cemetery, don't merely say, Baruch Hashem, I'm on the side of the fence. That's a good idea, by the way. Or when you pass by a funeral parlor, say, Baruch Hashem, it's fun to be on the outside. But at the same time, utilize it to think, I have to be afraid of Hashem. When you pass a medical center, you see signs outside. Here is a specialist in sickness of the jaw muscles. Did you know you need a specialist for that? Yes. When the muscles in the jaw go wrong, it is a painful existence for that person. He needs a specialist. There are specialists for stomach ailments and specialists for heart disease. There's a whole list there. You should read that whole list and gain Yiddish Shamayim from it. Think about all the things people are suffering from. There are plenty of customers there. Oh, yes. When you pass a hospital, in addition to saying a tefillah for all the choyle Yisroel in the hospital, don't forget to gain more Yiddish Shamayim. That sick person in the hospital also once walked outside of the hospital and never thought that he would be inside. So be afraid. And if you make it your business to utilize the hospital to learn Yiddish Shamayim, and you keep on doing that, then you won't have to be inside. You'll be able to remain outside because you're learning the lessons before they come closer to home. That's the best way to conclude your Elul. With Yiddish Shamayim. The first thing you have to learn is to be afraid of Hashem. That's the first thing the best thing to take with you into the new year. You want to live? You want to be well? You want to have a happy new year filled with happiness and success and good health? Be afraid of Hashem. And so we come back now to that statement in the Torah. Ki mitzvah hazois. This commandment that I'm commanding you today to do teshuva, lo bashamayim hi, is not in the sky. Will you have to go up into the sky to bring it down? No, it's not that difficult. It's not overseas. You don't have to travel to Eretz Yisrael, to the Koisel, to do Teshuva. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right here. Where is it? It's right inside of you. It's in your heart. All you have to do is to make up your mind that you're willing to serve Hashem in these ways. Nothing of great effort is required of you. No big expense. No mesiris nefesh. But you must have at least a few specific things that you're going to work on changing. It has to be a davar sheyesh bo mamash. A clear-cut plan. Something you can sink your teeth into. To say in general, I'm going to be good this year is better than nothing, but not much better. To talk in general means almost nothing at all. 
Because tafasta merubalo tafasta. If you try to grab too much at one time, you're going to grab nothing at all. It's all going to fall out of your hand. But when you specify something clear-cut, then you'll be able to carry it out. Tafasta muat tafasta. If you grab a little bit at a time, you'll be able to hold on to it. But tafasta means that you're grabbing onto it. You're holding on to that little bit very tightly. And that's what we talked about here tonight. Four easy paths of shuva el Hashem that we can hold on to without letting go. And if you take these ideas that you heard here tonight and you get busy doing them, that's the teshuva that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants most. It's vishuvu el Hashem. You're coming back to Hashem. And even though there may be many more things that you should be doing that you're not. But at least there are a few things you are doing. Hashem will see that you're headed in the right direction. And if you're headed in the right direction, then if you're trying to get better, he'll help you go further and further. You'll get to do more and more and you'll live many more years of happiness an accomplishment in Avoidus Hashem. Have a wonderful Shabbos.